Microsoft, now Intel. Some of the biggest names in the tech sector, biggest names in the economy for that matter, they are really struggling here. Intel's latest earnings report was, frankly, a disaster. Now that word gets thrown around quite a bit, especially in the financial context, stock market and all that. But in this case, yeah, it was truly a disaster. But why was it a disaster? What is really going on with Intel? Now you can look up all the information you want on the specific details of, the, of their quarterly numbers and all the things like that. But what they really said was in the first quarter of 2023, we expect our revenue to be down 40%. That's not something you really hear from major companies all the time. Hey, Bob, did you hear Intel's earnings are down for Intel's revenue is down 40%? 4%? Yeah, that's bad. No, 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 not 4, 40%. Yeah, that's sort of the situation that we're talking about here. Not only did they report guidance that said revenue could be off that much. They also said, we're not going to give you any more guidance beyond this quarter because of economic uncertainty. There's that term again. Economic uncertainty is the euphemism all these corporate suits use to avoid having to say massive recession. Now, back in October of 2021, the same Intel CEO was talking very differently. In October of 2021, what he was saying was that, man, this supply stuff is going to go on for a long time. We don't expect supply demand, this, 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 this imbalance to be normalized anytime soon. We don't expect anything to get back to normal till at least 2023. Well, they got that much right because in 2023, now supply is no longer an issue. In fact, supply isn't, supply restrictions are no longer the issue. They've got so much supply around the rest of the world that Intel's going to have to cut production way down. Nobody's buying semiconductor ship, the very guts of the modern information economy. Here it is falling apart. And the reason is because demand has crashed. Back in October 2021, when Intel CEO was thinking we're going to have supply problems for a long time, he was thinking that because he thought demand would stay hot forever or for the foreseeable future. He even forecast that PCs were going to ship a million units a day. Now he's saying that probably a quarter less than that in 2023. But how did we get here? How do we get to a situation where corporate CEOs were thinking one thing and it's turning out to be very, very, very different? So that's what we're going to talk about today. How an economy everybody said was red hot and going to stay that way suddenly makes it look like corporate CEOs want to cry. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, if you're interested, Eurodollar University memberships, exclusive videos, exclusive content, where we go into the economic and monetary details behind all of these supply shops. What's the difference between inflation and quote-unquote inflation? Hope you find out with Eurodollar University members or subscriptions to either the Daily Briefing at Markets Insider Pro, Deep Dive Analysis, where we dive deep into the nuts, the nitty-gritty details of finance, economy, money, volatility, Intel CEO, all that kind of stuff. All the information available for you at yourdollar.university. It was never inflation. 
That's where we need to start. Way back when, it was never inflation. Now, a lot of people said it was because they had been claiming inflation was going to break out any day now for the better part of a decade. And as soon as consumer prices went up, especially in early 2021, they said, aha, here it is. Inflation is finally here. And nobody bothered to ask, well, wait a minute, did it, it took a decade for this inflation to finally show up? Instead, what everybody should have been asking was, what was different about 2021? It wasn't the Fed, it wasn't money printing or anything of the sort. It was the individual circumstances of that economy. But there were some things that were unfortunately familiar. Not inflationary things, but rather the opposite. From the very beginning, you could have known that it wasn't inflation in a couple different ways. One, the, the most obvious way, the one that I talk about, the one that Eurodollar University itself is mostly focused on is the monetary system. Because money is inflation, inflation is money. If there isn't money, there isn't going to be inflation. And there wasn't ever enough money. We knew that from the markets. They told us. I've talked about this enough. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go talk about the other stuff. So from the monetary system perspective, inflation was off the table. But that didn't mean consumer price increases were. In fact, we saw consumer price increases, but we knew that it couldn't have been monetary inflation. Sorry, Emil, I, can't, I hate that term. But either way, consumer prices increased for other reasons than money printing. And so we look to the economic data to tell us what, that, what those economic reasons were. Now, what I want to focus on here is a single data series, a single data series that would have done everybody so much good had they just focused on this rather than the red hot rhetoric coming out of certain sectors of the peanut gallery. The series is produced by the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which is the same folks, the art, which are the same folks who do GDP. And it's called Real Personal Income Excluding Transfer Receipts. And this is one of those major, maybe unappreciated, not well-known economic data points, but you know, the people at the NBER, for example, if that's your thing, this is one of the ones they look at when they say, are we in recession or not? And what it tells you is, how much income the private economy is generating adjusted for prices. And from the very beginning, it has exposed these very stark differences in economic circumstances. We got to go back up a little bit here too. Before we ever got to 2020, if you looked at real personal income excluding transfer receipt, what you saw was the economy in the United States was generally solid and stable, even, even within and out of recession, throughout the decades leading up to around 2008. All of a sudden in 2008, however, incomes, private incomes fell sharply and then never came back. See, they've lied to you all this time about a recovery. It never happened. Now, the, the economists and policymakers have put forward all sorts of explanations about why private income has never come back, why the labor market never actually recovered despite the unemployment rate. What we're really talking about here and what this data series is really exposing is the deep, the, the dark underbelly of the participation problem. Now, what economists have said repeatedly is that the participation problem is the fault of you and me, workers. We're either too lazy to go back to school and learn new skills that are employable in the modern marketplace, or we're all too drug addicted, hopped up on heroin or fentanyl or something else, 
or baby boomers are retiring in too great a numbers. Why baby boomers chose October 2008 to retire, they never really explain. But they've come up with all sorts of excuses other than to avoid having to say what is really the truth here. And Janet Yellen, more than anyone else, sort of let slip the truth many years ago during her the first early days of her tenure when she said, boy, I look at this, this participation problem and I wonder maybe if this isn't some macroeconomic slack, if there really is an economic problem, not a blame American worker problem. And the funny thing is here, this series, this income series shows the dark side, the downside of the participation problem, meaning the private economy is not, was not generating nearly enough income to support economic recovery. And it didn't support economic recovery going all the way back to that particular spot in history called the Great Recession, because it wasn't a recession. Instead, what it was, using the parlance of econometrics, it was a unit root or a permanent shock. Something happened to the U.S. economy, specifically the labor market, which knocked it off of its multi-decade trend into a much lower state. Now, what possibly could that have been? It wasn't as if heroin was invented when Lehman Brothers collapsed. Oh, Lehman Brothers, that's a clue there. We had a monetary crisis, which lo and behold, seemed to have produced the effects that economists have associated with monetary crisis for a very long time. You can go all the way back to John Maynard Keynes and even before when economists realized um, Henry George. You have a deflationary money problem that leads to, among other things, the worst possible, the worst possible outcome, which is it, it hits the labor market. Labor market and deflation go together in the worst ways. So the economy never recovered after the 2008 recession because it wasn't a recession. It was a permanent shock due to the monetary crisis of 2007, 8, and 9. Fast forward to 2020, and what do we see again? Not just from this series, Real Personal Income Excluding Transfer Receipts, but more importantly, everything else. We see the participation problem, which was already an unfixed uh, issue before we got to 2020, become even worse afterward. We have another monetary crisis in March of 2020, which only reminded businesses in the United States around the world how worthless the Federal Reserve is and how liquidity is always just a flip of a switch from turning off. It is an enormous... And then, of course, you know, look, we can't forget the government restrictions overreacting to the pandemic itself, which meant more economic harm in these condensed spaces, condensed periods of time, which creates, which, which creates problems which reduce long-run capacity. That's the underlying issue here from after the unit root, the permanent shock after 2008, and then a second unit root or permanent shock in 2020. You see it in the data. You see it in the markets, but what you didn't see or what most people focused on that was sort of different was the government response after those things in 2020. So Uncle Sam came in, as we all know, first with the CARES Act and then whoever, however else the subsequent laws were eventually named and boosted the economy. Now, 
there's there's a moral case to be made for those types of interventions because shutting down so much of the economy and forcing a lot of people out of work and destroying a lot of businesses based on arbitrary decisions, maybe there was a case there for government making up for a little bit of it by engaging in these transfer payments. These transfer payments, which by the way, you'll notice, are excluded from the data series that we're talking about here. Real personal income excluding transfer receipts. So as the economy struggled to recover from the 2020 recession, the private economy really struggled, but in comes Uncle Sam with all this borrowed cash from the treasury market and says, go nuts, America. And America went nuts. Even though they didn't have the jobs, even though they didn't have the income, they had this windfall payment, this temporary transitory one time, well, it was one, two, three, sometimes more than three times receipts. But either way, it was a windfall payment which got spent on Amazon.com and into the goods economy and created the illusion of a red hot economy. It created the illusion, not a real recovery, the illusion of one. And again, you see it here in the data. But what economists had said all along, which led to the confusion of Intel CEO and others, was that if the government does this just the one time or the three times, that's okay because this leads to knock-on effects, second and third order effects that produce, if, if we get people spending, that leads, to gov that, means to, that leads to businesses hiring new workers and then more spending and then more hiring. And it leads to this virtuous circle that we all associate with recovery. So if the government spends a lot of money, it, it has this positive, lingering, maybe even permanent, permanent impact, a multiplier greater than one, they say. But is that actually true? Everybody sort of believed it as, a, as an article of faith, including almost every corporate management team around the world. October 2021, Intel CEO says, our biggest problem is demand. We won't be able to meet demand. October 2022, he finally realizes, eh, maybe that's not the case. And by the time we get to March of 2023, we'll see if he still has a job. Because the economy isn't uncertain, it has been certain the entire time. And look at the effects here. When you compare real private income, real personal income excluding transfer receipts, with real personal consumption expenditures, you can see that difference. You can see the gap. You can see exactly where Uncle Sam came in and created a transitory temporary effect that boosted not just uh, demand at that time, but also created what we call inflation, incorrectly call inflation, the supply shock. But long run, these things would have to revert to their underlying fundamentals. And the underlying fundamental, fundamentals in this case, private income, the ability of the private economy to actually generate income, which was very different from how consumers were spending. Consumers were spending well in advance of their income, and unless incomes actually moved up to where spending was, as was designed, as was promised, there would be trouble. Economists were wrong. They're always wrong. Instead, the labor market was never red hot. There was never a shortage of workers. You can see it right here in the data, the income data. What it showed was a 
an economy that had been once again a permanent shock, long-run harmed, long-run impaired, that was not able to generate enough income through the labor market and other means, including profits, to continue the, econo the economic activity at the same level as before. More and more of those price increases were eroding the ability of consumers and businesses to pay for them. And eventually it reaches a point where the only way to reconcile these massive economic imbalances is for one or the other to happen. Either income has to sharply rise or the economy has to sharply fall to meet income. That's exactly where we are now. Notice what we aren't even talking about here. What is missing from this entire discussion? Federal Reserve. It's not rate hikes, nor was it QE. Fed doesn't actually matter here. This was entirely different. The Fed only, the only way it comes in here is by soaking up all of the mainstream attention and focusing it on the exact wrong things. Focusing on things that are only a distraction. So the economy was never red hot in 2021. And because it wasn't, and everybody thought it was, we have to suffer the reversal of 2022, which is going to become, I think, more than economic uncertainty in 2023. Everybody's talking about a soft landing. Everybody's talking about prices coming down and how that will benefit consumers. No, the issue is always income, private income. Governments did not stimulate the private economy they covered up the gap in it, the massive gap in it, for a short period of time. Dare I say, a transitory period of time. Now we've got to revert back to fundamentals, and it's going to be a very bumpy ride. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. I do appreciate it, even though we never really have a whole lot of cheery to talk about on this show. Someday I hope that we will. In fact, I'm very optimistic down the road we'll finally fix some of our issues and we will have a lot to talk about that's good. But until then, thank you all to, to all our Eurodollar University members as well as our research subscribers. And until next time, take care.